leaving church confirmed my disbelief. That's pretty much the way that I look right. at it. It confirmed my disbelief because nothing bad happened. I didn't get smited. The world didn't stop turning because I stopped going to church. Once you find yourself with some other more appealing options, and there are a lot of more appealing options out there than going to church, two things happen. It gets easier to not go, and it gets easier to piece together why you stopped going. I think one of the best things that I realized about leaving religion is that I don't have to pretend I believe this anymore. It's really amazing the type of things that you think of when you don't have to think about God anymore. That's why I think it's important to think in terms of not simply giving up on church, but replacing it with things that are self-affirming, that feel good, and that give you reasons to not be in church. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get Unbound. Like something is amiss with the doctrine in your church starting to understand that your religion is good at little more than creating some of the worst people out there manipulating them and emptying their wallets are you experiencing what the fuck moments when your pastor says things that are obviously nonsensical if so you should ask your intellect if quitting church is right for you i'm spider and i'm shell and I don't know about anyone else, but I need a break from politics. <laughs> We've done yes. several shows in a row that have revolved around politics, and my brain is tired. Yeah. You know, there's a part of me that says I don't really want to think about this stuff, but I know I have to think about this stuff. And I know that it's important to share those thoughts because these are important things that we need to be thinking about. But there are other things out there to be thinking about. And tonight, just that little bit of snark should tell you what we're going to be talking about. I remember bringing up this concept a while ago and talking about the 30 days or four Sundays challenge where you just stop going to church. And in this episode, I really want to delve into that concept, or at least lead up to that concept, and hit you with a challenge at the end that I think will start getting the ball rolling for those of you out there who are still in the midst of things and thinking about getting out. I think some of the thoughts that we're going to convey tonight will start getting you thinking in the direction of getting out of church and staying out, because that is the single most pivotal step toward getting and staying unbound. And we're going to get into this topic in depth a little bit later, but right now it's the everything's so blurry and everyone's so fake edition of Christians behaving badly, <laughs> title not endorsed by Puddle of Mud, featuring a heaping helping of alarmism so absurd it's off the grid. Shell, what have you got for us this week? Well, it seems to be silly season here at Christians Behaving Badly. Silly season with various degrees of seriousness. The first story is entirely silly. Entirely. Well, yet another prophet, Manuel Johnson of Mega Praise Ministries. Mega Praise Ministries. So serious. Has said something on Stephen Schultz's Stephen Schultz's show. Try saying that ten times. Yeah, fast. right. On the Elijah Streams YouTube channel that really takes the cake. 
Stephen Schultz accepts with no questions everything that the guests on his show say. He nods like a bobblehead. He yes. just sits there and he nods just, the whole I damn time. I don't even time. think he talks. I just, yes, I understand. Yeah, that's that's it. He just sits there like a bobblehead. Yes, he's... If he even talks, I don't know. I don't Does he know. talk? I, I honestly, I don't think I've ever heard him say anything but yelp. That type of thing. Well, that's about the most intelligent thing that's going on in his head. If he's sitting there nodding and agreeing with everything that these crackpots have to say. Yeah. He's featured on his show uh, such ersatz prophets <laughs> as Cat Care and Chuck Pierce. He of the God-created COVID to bring me into a closer relationship with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Just go back a couple of weeks for that one. Oh, my God. So much. Yeah. God has uh, has killed 500,000 people just in this country alone so that he could have a closer relationship with this asshole. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Got Whatever. <laughs> and Manuel Johnson told him this time, Jesus rode with him on his super cool motorcycle and someone painted a picture of it. Cool, right? Well, to you, maybe. I don't know. I don't find it terribly cool. No. The painting itself wasn't all that cool either. No. And somebody painted a picture of it. Him and Jesus on a motorcycle. And, you know, there's a biker term for the position on the bike that uh, that Jesus is. I'm not going to say it out loud because no, it'll because offend it's, people. It's not nice. But it was the very first thing that I thought of. It's like, you know, you can't even let Jesus have the handlebars. No, he has to ride something that rhymes with switch. Yes. You see, I snuck it in there anyway. Yeah, you did. Without offending anyone. Because <laughs> people can draw their own conclusions if they don't know. Yes. Well, he's telling the story here in this quote. I was going down from the mountain just in awe. Just in awe of what had just happened to me. And the voice comes. He says, my son, go get our bike. Our bike. Go get our bike, not your bike. So it wasn't just about me. He says, go get our bike. Mm. And Steve, I just broke down. Broke down right there at the foot of the mountain. I just broke down. Go get our bike? Yes. Well, if it was purchased with tithes. Yeah, You maybe. know, I could see there's, I guess... there's a loophole right there. Yeah. And he continues. And when the Lord directed me to the bike, there was a BMW. He was there for the whole process of purchasing it. And when he rode on that bike, that was, I thought the mountain experience was great. And then when he rode on the bike with me, oh my God, that was a greater opportunity than my visitations to heaven. Did he actually say, oh my God? Yes, he did. Oh, so he... Casual blasphemy. Yeah, I was going to say. Super cool. He broke one of the commandments to mm. make his point. That's interesting. Yes, and you know... Like all good grifters, he backed up his story with some evidence. Ooh, evidence. We like evidence around here. What's the evidence? A stranger in Florida said he had a painting for him. A painting of Jesus on the back of his bike. And even though the artist supposedly had no idea what Johnson's jacket looked like or what kind of motorcycle it was, he got those details and Jesus all exactly right and let's point out for those who haven't seen this thing that jesus is in fact white yes so they got jesus right yeah quote unquote okay. big big huge air quotes big, right there huge air quotes neither one of them are wearing a helmet bad example jesus 
Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but, you know, if God is riding on your motorcycle with you, you know, I'm pretty sure that the whole angels having charge over these, so you don't crack your head open on a stone kind of. Yeah, I guess that's. I, I think it kind of applies here. Yeah, it probably went to his head. So, you know, there you have it. Stop saying Jesus is taking the wheel when we can all see he's clearly a passenger on the back of a sporty motorcycle. Checkmate, atheists. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with I'm, this. Yeah. I the... mean, honestly, there's nothing else to say. It's a completely crazy thing. But honestly, that's not the craziest thing this guy has ever said. Because he told Steve Schultz on another time he was on his show that he was the lawyer for Michael Jackson in heaven. And that the late disgraced king of pop was singing and dancing for God. So this guy claims to have been or currently is or whatever michael jackson's lawyer in heaven in heaven so I, he's been to heaven i guess and i guess there's litigation in heaven i don't know this place is sounding worse all the time it does it really there's you know, there's nothing at all appealing no about this heaven even when they start applying all of this extra biblical bullshit to it yeah it's crazy they're the spider's speechless the spider is speechless on this one. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's mm -hmm. it's entirely nutty. It's that's that's one way of putting it. But some of these claims, it's like how stupid of a claim do you have to make before even the stupidest among you look at it and say, you know, yeah, there's no possible way that that could be true. But yeah. there were a lot of people doing what Steve Schultz was doing and just sort of sitting there and bobbing, bobbing their the heads head. and yes. just agreeing and saying, oh well. This guy says that he's Michael Jackson's lawyer in heaven. Well, he must be. Mm. So what else have you got for us tonight? This one's only funny if you think of these guys trying to go off-grid. The wonderful person who inspired Uganda's infamous Kill the Gays bill, Scott Lively, has advised Christians to go underground if genuine patriots don't get back in power in the midterm elections in 2022. If they don't, he warns it will likely result in the eruption of some kind of violent insurrection and armed rebellion. In the event that Republicans don't win in 2022, Lively told his viewers to prepare to disconnect from the grid and go underground in order to escape the radical tyranny that President Joe Biden and Democrats will supposedly impose on the country. Radical tyranny. Radical there, there's tyranny. There's so much alarmist language in just that one quote. Yeah. There is like an insane amount of alarmist language. And yeah. This is the type of thing that kind of churns these people up. They hear buzzwords. Yeah. Like patriots. Mm -hmm. They hear buzzwords like violent insurrection eruption armed rebellion all of these terms it's it's like kindling yeah it's all like kindling that after a while it just starts a much much bigger fire and these people have been trained to respond to all of these cues like pavlov's dog yeah yes very pavlovian that's a yes. very very good uh, it's a very good comparison yeah you know, all these guys think going off the grid means what they see on doomsday preppers, where they focus on guns, growing food, which is sensible, and booby traps, zooming around the country and mountain roads, 
in their tricked-out survival RV. They never seem to think of what happens if you fall and break your leg or what happens when your clothes wear out and you don't know how to fix them or make more. They're just not prepared. They think it's going to be like Walking Dead. Because that's what they know. This is how they've been taught to think. Yeah. They've been taught to believe stories as being real their entire lives. So they're not thinking about the logistics of this. They're not thinking about anything realistic. No. They're thinking about this fantasy that they've concocted in their head. And the things that you mentioned don't really exist. Not that they don't exist, but they're not as necessary. Right. Because they're not thinking about them and it doesn't fit into the scenario. Right. That they're creating inside their heads. Yeah. Here's a quote from Mr. Lively. Do what it takes to bring the country back into the hands of genuine patriots in this next election cycle. Because if we don't take it back in 22, it's not takeable back. I think I just lost an IQ point (laughs) just reading that sentence. Yeah. Let alone having to hear it. Yeah. It's not takeable back yes this is someone who speaks with a lot of authority ladies Mm -hmm. and gentlemen yes he does a lot of authority Mm. because if they can cheat us in 22 then it's sort of a lost cause from that point just sort of hunker down build your bomb shelter gather your there's more yep gather your survival supplies get your children out of the public school move to a place the government doesn't know they exist Raise them without letting the government know who they are or where they are, and go underground with your church and your social network, your social structure. Disconnect from the grid if we don't take the country back in 2022. Right now, they have an incentive to be less radical, Biden and all the rest of them. They have an incentive to be less radical because they know everything hinges on 2022. But once that's over, once we have thrown everything that we can at them, if they are able to break that and beat that, that's it. That's the last bastion right there. I'd like to know where he thinks there is a place where the government won't know where they are or where they exist. How? Where are they going to go? Will they care? Yeah, I mean, it's like okay, people have gone off the grid. People have gone off the grid before. And I have another question here. Where is this stuff being posted? And are they using like their own networks? Are they using their own resources? Or are they getting on platforms like YouTube and mm-hmm. putting this shit out there? I think that there are several like internet channels okay. that broadcast these types of shows. Because I'm reading some of this and my first thought is how on earth can any of this content even jibe with the terms of service with some of these sites how do they even get it under the radar because it's religious talk yeah there is that it's religious talk but this really does i mean from a free speech standpoint yeah it really does dip a toe into the fire in a crowded theater arena if it doesn't cross the line holy fuck does it just walk right up to it yeah it's you know, if if it was my platform, I would be very leery of allowing this to represent what I'm building. But that's yeah. just me. Yeah. Um, Scott Lively is on YouTube. Uh, so is Elijah Streams. Mm-hmm. They're both on YouTube. I'd like to know where he thinks he can go underground with a whole social structure. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, so you want a truck. Mm, I'll, I'll be generous. 50 people. 
Right. And go underground and off the grid. And he's talking about, you know, stripping your children of their identity. Right. And just all of us, you know, all at once, these people are just going to disappear. Disappear. They're just going to disappear. Like where? People will notice. People will notice. These kids have been in school. Right. I'm sure they have friends. If they aren't being cloistered and homeschooled, I'm sure that there are going to be people that are going to notice that they're not around. Yeah. So how long do you really think you'll be able to keep this up for? I don't know. It doesn't fit into the structure of their pioneer family fantasy that they all have. Yeah. It's amazing how how many of them really believe that they could pull something like this off. No. We're modern people. No. Okay? If you've never done anything like this before, yeah. I mean, I could imagine it looking pretty comical from the outside looking in. Yeah. And probably not lasting terribly long. No. Because your women don't know how to spin and weave. You don't know how to raise sheep. And you're going to be naked in about 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Unless because you go into town. To you're going to run out of supplies and your only options are going to be to either stay there and die or reinsert in one way or another into the society that you're trying to shun. Right. I mean, you look at a movie like The Village and yeah. I mean, they pulled that off for like a long time, a very long time. Some right. people's lifetimes, there were people there that didn't even know what was going on, but you know, there was a point in that movie where there was a necessity to kind of make their way out of their cloister because right. someone was in need. They were dying. Right. And the only help that existed existed outside of that cloister. When something like that happens in a situation like this, what they're going to do is they're going to go and get help. Right. And then they're going to make excuses as to why their God couldn't help them because you know, in in my mind, if this is something that you're doing because it's what your God wants, mm -hmm. then that kind of leaves God in the position of having to take care of you. Yeah. And if he fails to do that, what's the excuse? What is the excuse that they come up with? Yeah. This is some of the most toxic advice I've yeah. ever seen in the context of what some of these nutters have to say. It's right. like, you, you want to motivate adults to do stupid things. That's fine but could you leave their kids out of it really that's the thing that really bothers me about this yeah. is that it involves children and they were they were all saying the same things during barack obama's presidency oh yeah yeah and none of the things that they feared came true no because it was it was all stuff that they had concocted in their own minds and the language that they used you know, radicalism. Yeah. You know, just tagging the Democratic Party as radicals. Right. It's like, you know, just because someone thinks a little bit differently than you or because they think mm -hmm. in general yeah. doesn't make them a radical. Just because they think about things and draw their own conclusions about things and try to do good for humanity when you just sit there in your pew and soak in what you're told and just believe it sight unseen and then find a bunch of idiots who will believe it when you spew the same shit back to them. Right. That doesn't make the person who thinks for themselves a radical. No. No. It just makes them someone who thinks for themselves. Right. And is a little bit more forward thinking than you are and thinks a little bit more about and of people than you do. Right. That's it. Mm -hmm. I just wish I didn't have to take these people seriously. 
Well, yeah, but here's the thing. You take the situation seriously. Right. Not the words. No, the words, the words are ridiculous. Are, the words are idiotic. Right. But you do have to take what's going on here seriously. Right. And that's why we talk about it. And that's why we add our commentary. Because I know that with the people that listen to this show, there are probably still some out there that are a little bit on the fence. And they need to hear something rational about right. this. They need the counterpoint. And that's a good segue into our weekly appeal. Our Patreon account is up at patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. If you have the means to help us out financially, we would sure appreciate it. It starts at five bucks a month, just over a buck an episode, and you'll be doing a lot of good for a lot of people, helping us to keep this thing going and make it better. And if you just flat out don't have the money to share at this point, that's fine too. Again, just like we say every week, get what you need out of this resource and tell someone new about us this week. That's going to help us every bit as much because the more people listen, the wider this thing's going to spread and the more people we can help get and stay unbound. And that's what we're here to do. So real short and sweet with the appeal this week, let's get right into our main topic. I started out with a question in mind for this episode. What happens to your brain when you stop going to church? Well, you know, like a lot of the things that I have settled on for topics for this show, it's difficult finding hard data on right. this. There aren't a whole lot of studies being conducted on what happens when you decide to stop going to church. So toward the end, I'm going to provide a little bit of anecdotal evidence mm -hmm. as to what happened to me and what I know has happened to other people and how this process sort of panned out. And that's what this is. It's a process. And we are going to get into that part of it a little bit more in just a bit. I was committed this time around. I wanted to revisit the long lost art of conversation in this episode, get away from the political stuff just a little bit and have Shell and me just talk about some of the stuff we know, uh, how we got to this point in our lives and trying not to repeat testimonials we've shared before, but I also know that not everybody has listened to all 73 previous episodes of the show. <laughs> so I'm not worried too much about telling a couple of stories again, because this could be the episode that someone hears and it all clicks. Right. So I don't care if we've talked about some of this stuff a little bit before. I think that all of it bears repeating because not everyone is going to have heard it the first time anyway. Now, there's a cool article on vice.com that's sort of about this, or I'd say also about this a little bit, but it's more about what happens to your brain when you stop believing in God. And I like how they put this because the two concepts go together because if you're strong in your faith, then why would you be leaving church? So this is where the breakdown begins. And just a very short little quote from the article, it says, losing faith happens in pieces. And when I read that, it, was, it wasn't really an epiphany because, you know, I've been through this and I know what it's like. But man, is that a good way of describing how this happens. It doesn't happen all at once. Mm. It starts with those few little seeds of doubt yeah. that take root and start making their way through all of these old thought processes. And we've talked about this before, too, where you don't replace one thought with another. You kind of counterpoint thoughts with each other and you start learning new ways of thinking about things you know i grew up in an environment that was very racist and homophobic and there are parts of my brain that still on those topics and a lot of other ones 
they'll stop in some pretty bad places. And I have to say, oh, wait a minute. No, that, this, this exit got redirected a few years ago. And we need to think about it like this now. Right. But the brain still organizes the data in the same way. It's just a matter of getting good at giving it new things to think about and giving it good reasons to adopt one opinion or attitude about something over another. But the old thoughts stay. And that's very problematic. It can be very, very problematic because you just want that stuff to go. Mm. You don't want to be burdened with it anymore. But it's still in there. And sometimes it comes out in thoughts. Sometimes it comes out in words. And I have to correct myself. Right. Either myself or who I'm talking to. Sometimes it even happens on this show. And I catch myself. And I say, well, do I take that out? Or do I say it and then let people know, you know, that's not what I meant. I think it's good sometimes to leave those things in because it confirms for people, Jesus, I'm not the only one who still thinks this way. Or, you know, I'm not the only one who still has these thoughts in my head. Not so much that I think this way anymore, but that the thoughts are still in there. And I think that there are a lot of people out there in that same situation. We want to think differently and we want to think better about some of these things that we've been taught. Let's just put it out there that we've been taught to hate. And, now we try to reach this point of acceptance with it and it can be difficult to get those old thoughts out of the way so that the new ones can just sort of flow clearly and without stopping on the old shit it can be difficult and definitely not convenient Mm. no it's never convenient no but i like this quote from the same article it says religion works exactly like a drug like cocaine or methamphetamine, or like music, or like romantic love. Those last two we've talked about before also, and how they relate to the experience of becoming a Christian, going to church, the power of music, the similarities between falling in love and that beginning relationship with Jesus. So we're not the only ones who who see this and, and understand what it is and how it works. This was a quote from Jeffrey Anderson, a radiology professor at the University of Utah who studies religion in the brain. He also said all of these experiences on some level tap into rewards. The physiology is really the same. Now, we talked a lot about this, particularly in our episode about falling in love with Jesus and in other contexts as well. And when I think about some of the things that I saw, Some of the behaviors that present during worship services, especially in Pentecostal environments, I can certainly see various hallucinatory responses and erratic behaviors that I'm certain those same people never display at work or around the dinner table. So yeah, the the whole drug aspect of this is a real thing. But, you know, he talks about cocaine and methamphetamine. Let's talk about things like LSD and shrooms and, and even marijuana because... Marijuana is also a hallucinogen. And honestly, I've seen stuff happen at the altar during church services that, you know, you have to wonder what the hell's going on inside these people's heads. But you know what? Our brains are full of chemicals that they create to give us the perceptions that we have of reality. Right. So if your brain chemistry gets a little bit mixed up by the onslaught of emotion in the middle of a church service that is designed to pummel you with emotionalism and sensationalism, then yeah, 
I can totally and completely see hallucinations and hallucinatory experiences happening at those moments, at those really intensely emotional moments. I can certainly see it happening. In secular contexts, though, I've also seen people at concerts raising hands, dancing in trance-like fluid motions, like I've seen them dancing at the altar. Yeah. Uh, looking detached from everything but the music, immersed in the moment, just like people seem detached from everything when they're in the middle of worship. And whether it's a worship service or if it's an altar service where their emotions have been whipped up even more, you can see it even more in those contexts. Now, of course, in secular terms, you go to a concert and some of them are high on various substances, <laughs> but some are high just on the experience. And they are just really, really into the moment and they don't, quote unquote, need that stuff to get there. And modern worship clearly taps into the same emotions, the heavy use of music, the heavy, heavy, heavy use of music yeah. in most evangelical church services. And we're not even talking just Pentecostals because it started with me with the Baptists at Word of Life. I saw just how they use music. And of course, it would be years before I started looking at it this way. But the way that they use music to manipulate situations and elicit the responses that they want. So I saw quite a bit of that and it spanned all evangelical lines. And then there's the large group experience and the energy that creates. Remember me talking about the first year at word of life right. and everyone running around the building while <laughs> the uh, ivy league fight songs play yeah just raising energy and there's a lot of that and sometimes not quite that radical but definitely with the same intent you oh, see definitely. in a lot of church services mm -hmm. it all meshes well with how our brains respond to things that make us feel good now, religion also follows the same emotional playbook as a relationship, which we've also delved into before. Right. And that's why evangelicals drive the concept of a relationship with Christ. They use the word, they use the concept because it's already familiar to the brain. And it's something that we can get behind and it's something that our brains can start building right then and there. The more directly your brain thinks about religion in this manner, the more the attributes of a relationship become equated with the religion. You think you have a relationship with Jesus, but you actually have a relationship with the things that you believe right. and the things that you experience. And these things just sort of amalgamate into this thing called Jesus inside your head. And some, even in their efforts to paint it in a positive light, accidentally indict religion for the kind of mind ensnaring thing that it is. A lot of the source material that I looked at was guilty of that. Yeah. An article in Medical News Today puts it this way. Researchers led by Dr. Jeff Anderson, Ph.D. from the University of Utah School of Medicine in Salt Lake City examined the brains of 19 young Mormons using a functional MRI scanner. When asked whether and to what degree the participants were, quote, feeling the spirit, those who reported the most intense spiritual feelings displayed increased activity in the bilateral nucleus accumbens as well as the frontal attentional and ventromedial prefrontal cortical loci. Really? I'm amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed that I got through that. These pleasure and reward processing brain areas are also active when we engage in sexual activities, listen to music, gamble, and take drugs. The participants also reported feelings of peace and physical warmth. 
you know what that made me think of? I'm going to come back to the quote in a sec, but you know what that made me think of? The whole thing with physical warmth? Yeah. How about when I used to, quote unquote, do Reiki oh, yeah. on you? Mm-hmm. And you would tell me that my hands felt hot. Yeah. And other people told me that my hands felt hot. This is a physical response that our brains concoct mm-hmm. to heighten the experience and make it feel better. Right. It all comes from inside our brain, mm-hmm. just like all the rest of the stuff. So the last little part, last part of the quote says that when our study participants were instructed to think about a savior, about being with their families for eternity, about their heavenly rewards, there's that word, their brains and bodies physically responded. And this happens when we go to church too. Reward circuits start firing off like crazy, but we get so accustomed to the stimulation, it just sort of hangs out in the background after a while. They become background processes, just like the ones that run on a cell phone or on a computer. You ever install one of those apps that tries to show you where your battery is draining on your phone? Yeah. And then you see all of these apps that are running in the background. Those are basically the same thing. Right. When you're in this kind of a mindset, when you're thinking about this stuff all the time, a lot of it goes subconscious after a while. And the thoughts about it go on autopilot. But those processes that make you think about them and make you think about them in in specific ways are always running. And they're running when you're in church. They're running when you're out of church and you're just doing your day to day. But boy, oh boy, do they wake up as soon as you walk into that sanctuary and hear that music. Mm. And the whole concept of rewards and what it does to your brain starts with the decision to get out of bed and prepare to go to church. That anticipation starts to rise and all of those things going on in the background start to wake up just a little bit. And they start doing their job like you tapped on them on on your phone. We set that alarm. We get up. We purpose to go to church when we get up. We do whatever we need to do to get ready. We get in our cars. We drive to church, probably Sunday school first and then coffee hour. That's your first reward right there. Coffee and donuts. There's a good sheep. Here's a treat for getting here early. And then you get to see people who you don't usually see all week. And you do a little bit of bonding. You share a little social time. Then it's time for the main service. And you get pelted with emotionalism and sensationalism around every turn. The worship music is lively. The energy of the worshipers around you is absolutely palpable. The special music gives your emotions a stir. And then the sermon, (laughs) inspiring as always, Pastor, thank you. This is what you trundled through the past week to be able to experience, and it just feels good. And the entire thing just makes you want to get up and do it all again next week. It's no wonder to me why most of us stay longer than we really want to or know that we should. It's fun. Let's just put it out there. It's fun. It's entertaining. It gives us a rise. It stirs up things inside us that feel good. And that's what grounds a lot of people to it. That's what anchors a lot of people to it for a long time, is that it feels really, really good. And what could ever replace the experience? It's unique. It taps into the pleasure centers. And over time, it really does begin to define us. But here's the problem. Being defined 
by anything external is very dangerous. It steers our thoughts away from who we are, and it makes us think about what, quote-unquote, God wants us to be. And let's be honest, by God, we really mean the people around us who are watching, scrutinizing, and deciding whether or not they approve of our behavior. Right. That's the God concept in a nutshell. Mm. When, when it comes to a corporate setting, that's the God concept in a nutshell. And that leads to the other side of the equation. Not going to church stimulates our punishment centers and triggers punishment responses. Guilt, shame. Sometimes you even get a nice passive-aggressive card from the Sunday school department because they missed you this week. Mm. As for me losing my belief in God, to be honest, I don't remember what happened first. Did I stop believing first or did I stop going to church first? I feel like mm. in a lot of ways, both happened at the same time. Mm. Leaving church confirmed my disbelief. That's pretty much the way that I look right. at it. It confirmed my disbelief because nothing bad happened. I didn't get smited. The world didn't stop turning because I stopped going to church. Well, at least when I transitioned out of the Episcopal Church into Wicca. That's right. the way that it was. It was different the first time I walked away, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, too. But at that point in my life, the way that I was thinking about this stuff, it's like I walked away, and I didn't feel guilty. Right. That was the thing. I didn't feel guilty about it. It didn't feel bad to not be in that environment anymore because I just wasn't feeling it. And I do remember the decision to not go to church anymore. It wasn't a concrete decision to stop going to church, but it wasn't a concrete decision to give up religion. Right. What it was, was that I had been at a Wiccan ritual on Saturday night and found myself dressed up in my alb and reading the Old and New Testament readings and helping to serve communion on Sunday morning and said to myself, you can't keep doing this. Right. You don't believe in this anymore. It's obvious that you don't believe in it. You identify so much more with what's going on over here. It's time to just put this away. But then the part of me that wanted to be in church wouldn't let go of it immediately either, did it? Right. Because what happened then? Liam and I started going to the UU church, and right. that lasted about six months. But it was largely pointless. I didn't really get a whole lot out of it. It wasn't a bad place. It was actually kind of a cool place. Right. And I liked the people there. I just wasn't getting anything out of it. It didn't right. seem to make a point. So that was really the end of it. And again, it was kind of a fizzling out sort of thing. Yeah. It kind of tapered off. And I convinced myself that I didn't need it anymore and just stopped. Right. And didn't revert back to anything. It just became very, very apparent to me that there was no truth to be found behind the walls of any theist organization, right. church, whatever, because UU is so all-encompassing. There are actually atheists in Unitarian Universalist right. Church. I keep saying UU, and I don't say what it means. Not everybody knows. But there are atheists that mm -hmm. are Unitarian Universalists, so it seemed like a safe harbor. And it was. There was nothing wrong with it. It just didn't do anything for me. Right. And it seemed pointless after a while. When that happens, when you reach a point where it's just not doing it for you anymore, the rational mind at that point is allowed to have its say. It gets a little bit more of a foothold in your thought life in general. And when that happens, 
you get things like this. Another quick quote from the same article. The Pew Research 2016 survey on why now unaffiliated Americans lost faith yielded explanations such as rational thought makes religion go out the window. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Lack of any sort of scientific or specific evidence of a creator. And I'm a scientist now and I don't believe in miracles. And one more quick snippet here. It says new beliefs join the same neurological framework as old ones. And that's what I was talking about before, where we have these thought processes that exist in tandem with each other. It's not a matter of we stop thinking a certain way and start thinking this new way. The old thoughts have their way of contaminating things because they share the same neurological framework and they come from the same places and they're drawn up with the same kind of stimuli. Right. So that's why it's very difficult to just completely change gears and stop thinking like a racist, stop thinking like a homophobe, stop thinking in all these toxic ways because those thoughts are there and they aren't going anywhere. Right. You just have to get to the point where you're putting more stuff in that's beneficial to your brain mm -hmm. and fewer toxins. That's it. That's really what the solution is is to keep putting the stuff that's right and rational and reasonable in there so that all of this crazy shit that you learned when you were in doesn't maintain its foothold. Right. And you can at least get around it long enough so that when those thoughts creep in, you can say, yeah, you know, that's kind of bullshit. And I kind of think that this is a stupid way of thinking. And at least when those thoughts come in, these new thoughts can counter them. And right. you can tell yourself, yeah, no, you don't want to think like that. And one last little bit from the same place. When we finally break up with religion, we rebound. Eventually, non-religious people who once had religious epiphanies get those same feelings from being in nature or from seeing profound scientific ideas expressed or what have you. Here are some of mine. The immensity of the universe. When I think about the fact that on a sunny day, I can stand outside and I can see this object that is 93 million miles away. Right. I can see it. I can feel it. And it's that far away. And then I look up at the stars and I realize we don't understand jack shit about time. Right. Because I'm looking at these stars, but they're not a live picture as far as what we consider to be real time. Right. They're not. Because we're looking at light that's really, 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 really old. Like way older than anyone or anything that we can think of. But there they are. And we can see them. And we can see yeah. them right now. I think about this and the immensity and the complexity of concepts like time. That's, yeah. you know, you're not taught to think about these things. Mm -hmm. The only time that you're taught to think about when you're in this thing is when Jesus is coming back and <laughs> yeah. we're supposed to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. And that's that. That's all they want us to think about with time. I think about some of the things that people have accomplished. Um, this is in my post-religious life, in my rebounded brain. I think about things like the microchip and it's like, I'm completely, I'm, I'm floored. Right. Just looking at a normal micro, they have microchips that are like practically microscopic right someone still had to make that yeah it's it's crazy i saw a film of somebody made tiny tiny gears like 
clockwork gears and they're mm -hmm. like microscopic. I'm like, how does anybody do that? Well, we do it. Yeah. Because we've learned how to manipulate things to the point where with the right microscope and the right equipment, also really, really small and really, really precise, we can do these things. Right. I look at Olympic athletes or people who are good at things like parkour. Yeah. And the crazy things that people accomplish using little more than their own bodies. Right. The things that we are able to do, we're kind of amazing in our ability to not only do these things, but even come up with them in the first place. Right. We are kind of a remarkable species mm -hmm. when it comes to anything else that's going on on this planet. Not necessarily better, but certainly more advanced. And we have the ability to think about things on levels that someone like me, I, I, I have a slightly above average IQ, slightly above average, but I still can't even begin to tap into the brain of someone who's close to genius. Yeah. And I can't tap into concepts that have to be born inside somebody's head to even conceive of something like a microchip. Right. These are the kinds of things that run through my head now. I never thought about them before. Or if I did, it was just, you know, like looking up into the stars and realizing the immensity of it. But then having to attribute the immensity right. and the majesty of it to something that's just flat out not there right. and doesn't matter. That's the difference. I look at the universe and how mysterious it is now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow. Yeah. There's, I, and I have to get comfortable with the idea that I'm going to die not understanding any of it. Right. But just the fact that there are things out there to be understood mm -hmm. that eventually might be understood whether i'm here for it or not it's very exciting oh yeah just thinking about these concepts now and it's like mm -hmm. i don't worry about the fact that i won't be there to see it i don't worry about the fact that i won't have the eternal life aspect of things and go someplace when i die where all of my questions will be answered i'm okay with dying with questions mm -hmm. i'm okay with the notion of dying without those questions being answered it's just cool to realize and recognize that the answers exist right and that sooner or later someone might actually find them <laughs> that's awesome as far as i'm concerned and you know certain concepts have changed drastically inside my head as have my definitions of things like fairness mm. justice righteousness personal responsibility morality and most importantly love as the all-encompassing concept that that is it is amazing to me how much bigger and better and utterly important love is to express and experience now than it ever was to me when I was in this religion that was supposed to be rooted oh, yeah. on love. Definitely. It's really amazing the type of things that you think of when you don't have to think about God anymore. When you don't have to give him credit. Yeah, you don't oh, have yeah. to give him credit. You can look at things like, I love like looking at pictures of birds and how much variety there is and how small hummingbirds oh, yeah. are mm -hmm. and how small their eggs are. And it just like, ah, and it's nature so just amazing. Does this. Yes. And when I was evangelical, I couldn't be satisfied with nature just did it. Yeah. There had to be something else that was involved. No. And now it's like, I ask myself, well, why? Because someone decided that for me and told me I needed to believe it. There, there's so much that we don't know about this universe that we live in. And 
you know, we still don't know where precisely where we came from or nope. why we're here or any of the myriad of things that could have gone wrong and made us never be here. Yeah. You know, the, the odds that we're here are so astronomical yeah. that when you take God out of the equation, it just becomes this awesome adventure for your brain. Mm. And and instead of concocting scenarios like primitive people did because they didn't have science to defer to, when you look at it from the standpoint of science, it just makes the whole concept that much more intriguing. Right. Because we don't have the answers. Nope. And we're not going to just tag it all with God. No. Because God had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the best things that I realized about leaving religion is that I don't have to pretend I believe this anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't have to oh, pretend, yeah. you know, I don't have to pretend to hate gay people. Mm -hmm. I don't have to pretend to subscribe to like a certain type of creationism so that it makes sense with science. I can just believe science. Yeah. That's nice. Oh, yeah. I love being able to believe sensible things. You know, you know what I really like not having to contend with anymore? Mm. This hypocritical notion of loving the sinner and hating the sin. Oh, yeah. That doesn't you, work. When, when you talked about homophobia, that was the mm. first thing I thought of. Yeah. It's like they hide behind this platitude. But at the end of the day, they hate both. Yeah. They, they hate both. And yeah. they teach you to hate both. Maybe not to the faces of, of anyone who's quote-unquote different or has different views on sexuality than they do, but the sentiment is there. They have the little CYA disclaimer <laughs> of love the sinner but hate the sin, but they hate both. Yeah, they do. Pure and simple. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's another side to this that, you know, I when I go out researching this stuff, sometimes I find the exact opposite right. of what I'm looking for. And this was not an exception. It kind of amazed me at how, while I was researching this subject, I came across more material about how much better religion is for you than non-belief. And there's a lot of material out there. It's actually a bit off-putting how much there is out there that tries yeah. to convince you that you'll feel better if you are religious. Well, you know, to a degree that's true. We're going to get into the reasons why in just a sec. But... I think it's still kind of subversive and it leaves me to wonder why I can search for this one specific thing and everything that comes through Google is the exact opposite. And there are people out there thinking, well, you don't know how to use Google. Well, you know, I've tried every way to manipulate it that I can, but here's a problem that I don't think a lot of people think about. And that is that if you steer too far in one direction, when you're searching for stuff, when you're doing searches for information on Google and, mm -hmm. and the other search engines, it's very, very easy to steer right into confirmation bias. You have to keep a neutral kind of uh, right. tone to what it is that you're searching. And when you do that, it can go in either direction. And that's what happens in a lot, a, a lot of instances when I'm doing research for this show. That's precisely what happens because I don't want to research with confirmation bias. Right. I want things to be factual and not just, well, this source says what I want, so let's use that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think this happens. It's not that I don't know how to use Google. It's that, that, I'm, it's that I'm trying to be impartial yeah. in the way that I present what I'm looking for so that I get true information and true data. And in this instance, 
I found a lot that was the exact opposite. All this stuff about what's good about being part of a religion. They make a couple of points here. I'm going to just play devil's advocate for a minute here. Mm. On the one hand, you have to hand it to religion for outlawing things like alcohol and smoking because removing these things from your life can lengthen and improve the quality of it. On the other hand, what kind of life does it leave you with? When you stay someplace, when you keep your brain in a place that doesn't allow for free thought, that doesn't allow you to expand your horizons just a little bit, what kind of life does that leave you with? It seems that blessed assurance can also keep your blood pressure low and have other positive physiological effects as well. You know what they say, ignorance is bliss. People who spend their entire lives in church might have fewer stress-related health problems, but the cost, in my opinion, for living a longer, unexamined life detached from reality without a sense of individuality or autonomy is high. It's too high. To me, it's like being told that I can live 75 years, and in that time, I can travel the world, experience a variety of cultures, know love, heartbreak, consequences for my actions, and all the things that define me as a person Or I can live for 200 years or 2,000 years or 2 million years and never leave my house. Which would you choose? (laughs) Which would any sane person choose? You know, I think about that episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. Remember that guy thousands of years and just sort of walking around his kitchen? Yeah. That to me is what it would feel like. Staying shackled to a religion. Yeah. And just for the purpose of having a few more years or a lot more years or even an eternity. We've talked about the Christian heaven and what a shitty place that is. Mm -hmm. So why on earth would I even want to go there? You know, 75 years to be able to amass experiences and to feel things and to have the experience of being a human being alive on this planet that to me is way better and and being able to do things on my own terms yeah that to me is a way way better situation than 200 or 2000 or 2 million years as an automaton yeah that doesn't think for itself all right but here's the here's the thing i talked about the whole concept of you get eternity but you can't leave your house Mm -hmm. but here's the thing what if you were born in that house because a lot of people are A lot of people are born in this house called religion and they've built their entire life and their entire way of thinking and living around just what's in this house. And all of a sudden, here's somebody sitting here on a podcast asking you to leave. Mm. Okay, just think about it. The door opens and there you are looking at this much bigger much more complicated much less polite world that exists outside your cloister you know i've been there but you know my brain like i've said before my brain was never so completely assumed into the into the collective that it actually scared me to leave mm. there were moments even now there are moments where i have these little shreds of doubt and my rational brain has to come to the rescue. <laughs> yeah. But it always does. That's mm-hmm. the beauty part of it. It always does. But to the average person who grew up in that house, it would be terrifying. Yeah. And to many, the thought of leaving their religion is just that. It's just too terrifying to even consider. 
All of those positives that I mentioned a minute ago spring from the assumption that the person practicing the religion is happy. If they aren't and they stay, things swing to the other extreme in some very nasty ways. And that's why most people don't just up and leave. It happens gradually and in a way that our emotions and intellect can handle. Most people stop believing in God in much the same way that they stop believing in Santa Claus. It doesn't happen all at once. You go from, and I saw this in one of my sources, I don't remember which one, but it's in there. You go from walking into the mall and seeing this guy in a red suit and think, that's him, that's Santa. And then a couple of years later, it's brought to your attention that the guy in the mall isn't really Santa, Mm -hmm. but somehow is able to communicate with Santa. (laughs) So you accept that because you want to keep the belief going just a little bit longer. Okay, so I thought this was Santa. Well, he's not Santa, but, you know, he works for Santa. So that's good (laughs) enough. We still believe in Santa. And then a couple of years go by and you start questioning things a little bit more. You start noticing certain things. Maybe an adult slips up and says something. Maybe one of your friends who figured this out already says something. Mm -hmm. And those seeds of doubt start creeping in. And after a while, you just don't believe anymore. And it's okay. Because you're still going to get those presents on Christmas morning. (laughs) It's just that they're going to say from mom and dad now. They're not going to say from Santa. And that's just fine. There's a gap in data between certain things that are associated with this. But everything I read goes back to the same basic comparison. Staying in a religion, once you want to get out, taps the same emotional centers as staying with an abusive partner. And emotions like fear, anger, depression, helplessness, and anxiety surface. The delusions of the religion become the enemy to the extent that people become afraid to walk away. At this stage, it's far less about things like community and more about the fear of consequences for leaving. It starts with the disapproval of others and progresses to the instilled fear of hell that keeps many from getting unbound. People suffering from depression while still active in their religion can take three to five years to start feeling good again after they leave. That means physically, emotionally, and as a person in general. And here's another little quote from an article in The Atlantic. When you were five years old and learning English, you never stopped to ask your parents why you weren't learning German. You just learned it. The same is often true of religion. When you're taught about hell and eternal damnation at ages four through seven, these strong concepts are not going to easily leave you. Just like it's hard to unlearn English, it's hard to unlearn the concept of hell. How do you unlearn English? And you know what? The thoughts, like I've said before, they stay there. So the concept of hell is always going to be there. And it can really fuck with you. Even when you know that you know that you know that it's nothing but a scare tactic, it can still fuck with you. Any negative experiences after leaving religion from depression to social isolation can take a toll on your physical health. Isolation, according to a six-year study out of the University of Chicago, can cause health problems such as disrupted sleep, elevated blood pressure, and a 14% greater risk of premature death. Depression can cause fatigue, trouble concentrating, headaches, and digestive disorders. And persistent anxiety can cause muscle tension and difficulty sleeping, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And I know there are people out there right now thinking, Jesus, Spider, are you trying to convince people to keep plugging away at their faith? (laughs) Nope. 
just conveying a few uncomfortable truths. I'll say the same thing I said a minute ago and just in this context. So the way I look at this part of it is that five years of introspection, therapy, medication, and relearning who you are or 75 years of never finding out who you are, never actualizing your potential or having a life that's yours and yours alone. (laughs) What's the worst fate? Five years of therapy, dealing with shit, maybe feeling a little bit better, maybe always having a few lingering doubts but being able to deal with them, or just being the mindless automaton singing Jesus Loves Me for the nine millionth time this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is worse. Mm-hmm. I teased this a minute ago. I'm going to go into it just a little bit here. The one time that I tried to quit religion cold turkey, it backfired. Mm-hmm. It really backfired. And I've told the story before, so I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of it right now. Shell was having this issue with a very, very persistent cough. It wasn't going away. It was going on like a year, and no one could tell her why. Every test that came back was inconclusive as to why she was coughing, and it got very frustrating. And this was on the heels of a lot of other things that had happened. Mission Impossible had happened. Go back to episode 11 for that one. The whole debacle with the Assemblies of God, I was in the middle of credentialing with them, and they decided to throw up every possible roadblock that there was because I refused to toe the line with certain areas of their doctrine and didn't want to lie about it because I felt that it was important that they knew what they were getting. So my integrity cost me a whole lot of grief with that organization. And there were other smaller things going on at the time too. And I remember having a conversation with my grandmother where I literally asked her, why does God hate me? I've done everything that he's asked me to do and this is what i get in return and on the heels of that i'm driving around one day i just dropped you off at work and i'm driving home and you're hacking your way through the doors of walmart and i remember just praying just rage praying and saying you know i've done everything you've asked me to do i went to that college and i was miserable i stayed there for four years I went to that church, tried to make a go of it, and you let those people walk all over me. I don't know what's going on here, but I know one thing for sure. My wife needs a healing. And either you're going to give her her healing, or I don't want you in my life anymore. Mm. And she walked out of work that night, and she was still hacking. And that was it. In my head, that was it. And that was the beginning of six months out of church. But I did go back. And I say that it backfired because I went back mostly because I was bored. Yeah. But at the same time, there were also a lot of feelings of guilt. Yeah. When you get trauma bonded to your religion, mm-hmm. you start feeling bad about not letting it make you feel bad anymore. Yeah. That was a lot of it. And it wasn't that going to church, quote unquote, made me feel bad, but A lot of the things that I had experienced in the year or two that led up to that, um, it wasn't pleasant. No. I still enjoyed the atmosphere of church. I enjoyed what happened at church. But there were things, even even those early stages, that had really put a big damper on the experience for me. But after about six months, I did go back. So the cold turkey thing almost never works. 
you know, yeah. I was a little bit more stubborn than average because I don't think that six months is typical either. It's more like a matter of weeks right. before people start going back and start edging back into the fold. But let's keep in mind that all the emotional damage that happens when you're in the process of trying to get out, all the emotional damage that happens, happens while you're still in. The effects of the damage come out when you leave. That means the longer you stay in, the more intense and pervasive the effects can be. This is why I say if you're young, like still in your 20s or 30s, and still statistically have more years ahead than behind, the level of trauma involved in leaving religion is less. It's definitely less. But regardless of how long a person remains in a religion that denies them their identity, freedom of thought, freedom of choice, and more, it does damage. And that damage usually manifests as religious trauma syndrome or RTS. It's a form of PTSD and it's a real thing. I'm going to mention it here but not get into it much right now because RTS is going to play heavily into our next episode right. where we talk about the flip side of this mm. and when you come out and how all of that stuff comes to the surface because, you know, not to scare anybody, but it is a thing that can happen. Yeah. And it can feel like you are in your own personal hell for a little while when you come out of it. But, you know, it's a fire that you can brave and you can walk through. And we're going to get into that more next week. So don't be scared off by the concept of leaving just because I said that. Come back next week. You're going to get the full story on that. This is why, just like losing belief in Santa Claus, losing your belief in God should be more gradual. Some people go through traumatic experiences and immediately denounce their God, but far more often they cling even harder. And in a lot of instances, they come back. I came back right. and repented of all of that and apologized to this abusive miscreant of a deity for not standing by me and letting my foot dash against a stone. You know, yeah. I came back and I apologized and... You know, that's just the sign of someone who's trauma bonded. Yeah. The ones who walk away abruptly like I did almost always return to the fold. And that's just the way it is. I've talked about the crises of faith that I've had before, too. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. But there were at least three periods in my life where I started thinking, you know, maybe there isn't as much to this as I've let my brain tell me that there is. Or that I've not really my brain, that I've let other people tell my brain that yeah. that these things are were real so there were three times that i remember one of them was at the end or toward the end of mission impossible mm -hmm. there was the whole thing with the ag where they just they, they wanted to lord their power over me and i wouldn't be contained right and then there was the death of my grandmother which really was one of the final nails in the coffin for my belief in christianity yeah. But it wasn't the end of my belief in religion. Right. Each time I went through these crises of faith, I found my way back. But I transitioned out of Christianity into Wicca like just over a year right. after my grandmother died. And I thought at the time I was doing something good for myself. I thought right. that this was something that I would identify with more. But it was really just another dip into the same toxic pool because all religion has an element of danger. Right. associated with it there's an element of toxicity to all of it even when it's as innocuous as something like wicca and in terms of all the religions out there wicca really is pretty innocuous 
but anything that steers you away from reality right. is toxic. And Wicca was really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> it was really good at it. Yeah. So the bottom line was I had substituted one god for an army of them. And it was empowering until I realized I didn't believe in any of it. Right. And I really didn't. Yeah. And I kept convincing myself that I did because I wanted this to work. Because it was more empowering. It was more yeah. personally empowering. Yeah. Than Christianity was. Yeah. It was definitely more empowering to me. Because evangelicalism just trains women to be doormats. Oh, yeah. And Wicca was kind of important for me learning how to stand on my own a little bit more. Yeah, and it was important for me too as someone who had been taught to think like an evangelical male yeah. to be able to function in a religion where I was the minority. Right. Where I wasn't as important as I would have been in any evangelical context mm -hmm. because Wicca was not necessarily a girls club, but there were fewer boys. Oh yeah. That's for sure. There were way fewer boys. But that, to me, honestly, was part of the appeal. You know, I wasn't looking at it as a means of meeting women or anything like that. It, was, it appealed to me because of its progressive way of doing things. Right. And that was most of it. That was the vast majority of it. It was very progressive, and it was someplace where I could stretch my wings. Right. But you know what? I find that I stretch them further these days with a worldview that isn't confined to theism. Right. I find that those wings stretch a lot further. And that I get to see a lot more. I get much more of a bird's eye view of things now. And I can see bigger pictures of things. They're bigger pictures, but at the same time, they're more finite. Because you don't have this infinite force right. that is God hmm. that has to be at the center of all of it. Right. It makes it, it, at the same time, it makes it much bigger, but also much smaller and much more compact. If that makes any sense at all. When, yeah. I'm, when I'm listening to it back, I'll decide if it makes sense and whether or not I'm going to leave that in there. <laughs> but... I want to just lead into what I call my 30-day or four-Sunday challenge with just a brief list of things that, for a lot of believers, are barriers to leaving. So I wonder how many people out there are going to be able to relate to at least one of these. A lot of people stay in their religion and keep going to church way longer than they want to because family won't approve or because their kids and they're dragged there. And they're forced to be in that environment. But as adults, it's more the approval aspect of it. You know, this is something that I've done all my life. I've always seen my parents in church. And now I'm just not going to be there. I'm going to be missed. And I'm going to have to explain why. Yeah. And that keeps people around for a lot longer than they want to be. Then there's the fear of rejection from mm -hmm. family or friends or from a spouse. Or, and, and these things happen. Right. They happen. They're real fears. It's not like, oh, this is all in your head. Just stop going to church. It's fine. Nothing bad will happen. Yeah. I'm here to tell you folks, bad things can happen. Mm -hmm. But again, weigh what the options are and weigh what the alternatives are and decide which is worse. Then there's the aspect of this is all I know. What do I do without it? And that was around the time mm -hmm. that I had my little angry conversation with God I remember saying this to my grandmother. I said, I don't think that I believe in this anymore. And I'm terrified because I have no idea what I'm going to do without it. Right. That's where my head was. Yeah. That's trauma bonding 101. Yeah. Then there's the need for community and the fear of loss of community. Right. Well, you know what? Like I said, like many, many episodes back now, there are other communities out there. 
that don't have anything to do with church, that have nice people that you will relate to. Don't keep going back for the indoctrination just because you want that social outlet and you feel a sense of community there. You can rebuild community in ways that are more positive and more life-affirming and more you than anything that your church has to offer. And then there's the one thing that they love the most, guilt. Mm. Guilt for leaving or even just skipping a Sunday. And especially when you get those little passive-aggressive cards. Oh, yeah, those are great. We missed you in Sunday school. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. we, we all know what that's all about. It's not that we missed you. It's that we noticed you weren't here. And we want you to know that we noticed Mm -hmm. and that Jesus did too. Oh God. (laughs) That's it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. You weren't here and that means your tithe wasn't here. So get back to church. Mm -hmm. Now that's a short list and you may have other reasons that you are staying in this that are either tied to some of these or are completely different. Yeah. So whatever your reason may be, if you've listened this far, it's still probably a concept that you are pondering and considering should i keep going to church i'm at the point where i'm questioning a lot of what i'm being told and i'm having a lot of moments and thinking about this in ways that i haven't before is it a good idea for me to just stop going to church well like i said before cold turkey doesn't work for everybody but at this point if your faith is already on its way out the door then it's time to start taking more proactive action to sweep this stuff out of your life just a little bit more. And the easiest way to do that is to stop getting indoctrinated every single week. So if you're having doubts, that is your rational brain telling you to look at things from the standpoint of reason and not from the standpoint of fairy tales. So at that point, I recommend trying this 30-day or four-Sunday challenge where you simply commit to skipping church for a month. And during that time, you close yourself off to any and all things Christian if you can. No Christian movies, cancel the pure flicks, no Christian books, no Bible, none of it. No Christian podcasts, just let it all fall by the way. Now, if that includes close family, you're not going to close yourself off to your family, obviously. Mm -hmm. Just try to steer clear of religious discussion. And it's difficult. And on a good day, it's difficult. And it's even more so if they know you're not going to church because they will bring it up. Mm -hmm. They will make sure that it gets dragged right back to the center of the conversation. And there are various ways of dealing with that. But you don't have to engage. You don't. You have the choice here. You can either humor them and you can let those seeds of doubt about the decisions that you're making start being planted in your head by people who are trying to steer you back in. Or you can just politely not engage and not get into conversations. And when people say things that you know are supposed to be triggering or are supposed to spur on specific responses, surprise them and don't respond. Right. You have that option. And I believe in you. I believe that you have the ability. You know, we have the right to remain silent, but not the ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have the ability. Yeah. You have the ability. Exercise it. I believe in you. You have the ability. <laughs> Don't let them steer you back. The next thing I would recommend here is that you fill the time you would normally be spending in church. Don't just let it be idle. Right. Don't set an alarm, though. Wake up naturally. 
and see what time you actually wake up on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Find a book that you've been interested in and spend a couple hours on Sunday reading it. Have some kind of plan to leave the house. That's a good one. Definitely have something in mind that you're going to do that day and not spur of the moment. Don't start thinking about it when you open your eyes. Have something planned, at least for these first couple of weeks. Have something planned. Fix yourself some breakfast. Get out of bed, fix yourself some breakfast and make it good. Make it something that you're actually going to want to eat. Better yet, you know, go out for Sunday brunch. You know, it's a thing and it's a fun thing. And just get out in, or, you know, if you don't want to be in a busy restaurant, just get out in nature. Leave the house. The awe and mystery of something as tiny as a ladybug will take on a whole new dimension when you start looking at it from the standpoint of science and not just God made it. Call or text a friend or family member who is smart enough to also be home on Sunday. You know, you, you want that social outlet? You want some company? Well, you know what? I bet you anything you've got a few unsaved friends that wouldn't mind hanging out. So, you know, there's that option exists too. And here's the difficult one. It's like saying, don't think about pink elephants, but try not to think about what's going on in church. Aside from the social outlet, there is little going on there that will benefit you. And I'm sorry, you know this, you know it. And when you get through four Sundays and you have successfully steered clear a church, reset the clock and go for four more and start the whole process over again. Take the best parts of what you learned in these four weeks and apply them to what you do next. It's kind of like marketing, but using your own brain. Yeah. What is going to really click with me? What's going to be my Sunday thing? Or what are my Sunday things? What are going to be my go-tos as opposed to going to church? Once you've got a few of these things in mind, it's a lot easier to not have that drive or not even think about going to church because you got other things to do. As soon as you start replacing these things with things that are equally pleasing to the brain, to the body, to the senses, whatever, once you start replacing all of that stuff, it becomes easier to not go back to it. So if you get through four Sundays, reset, figure out what worked the best, what you enjoyed the most, and just focus on that and let that be your drive to keep going and to not go back into that environment anymore. Now, the sad part about this is that cold turkey with this particular plan is kind of the only option. But like I said before, if you're already in doubt, it's going to be a lot easier to pull off. If you're thinking about this and it's already making you nervous, expect to fail once or twice. Just like someone who's trying to quit smoking, expect to fail. Because as someone who quit smoking four months ago, I can tell you, I managed to do it cold turkey, but I didn't like it. And I still crave them, but I don't need them. You see, I crave the way that it made me feel. I crave the sense of relaxation that comes along with it. I crave what it feels like in conjunction with some good weed. Mm. I crave those experiences but my brain doesn't need them anymore because it hasn't been part of the equation for four months. And I miss it, but I don't need it. So after a little while, that's the point you're, that you are going to get to. You're gonna miss it, but you're not gonna need it. And your brain's gonna tell you that you don't need it. And you're gonna sit there and you're gonna sip your coffee and you're gonna listen to your favorite podcast or whatever it is that you're doing on Sunday. We release these when we release them for a reason 
not saying that we've become your new church, but that this is here for you and that we're here to keep you company and keep reassuring you that you made the right decision. So, mm -hmm. you know, you want to incorporate us into your Sunday ritual? Fantastic. We'd love to be there. But just keep keep in mind that this is a cold turkey kind of thing. There's no patch. There's no step-down program. There's no way to do it gradually. Belief diminishes over time, but the decision to leave church is much more immediate and it's much more concrete. If you're at the point of making that decision, things are at least on shaky ground inside your head about whether or not God exists or if church is something you really ought to be bothering with. That said, it's hard to give up. It's like a drug in a lot of ways. And, you know, some people quit smoking cold turkey. I did. You know, I just stopped. And there are some people who can just do that. Some go back and buy a pack just hours later. Hours, days, weeks. Sometimes it's even months. And I keep that in the back of my head. When I start craving them, I'm able to slap the cravings away. At this point, I'm better at it. Getting better at it over time. But even months later... I've been through these stressful situations and all I've wanted was a cigarette. So, you know, it's a process. You may fail once or twice, but when you fail, reset the clock and turn off the alarm and try again. Yeah. Eventually you'll get there. And I look at this and I look at the process the way that I look at quitting smoking. This sticks in my mind where, you know, if it's a special occasion or I'm bored or I need the emotional boost that it gives me maybe i'll just have one it's not smart it's not a smart uh, way of going about it you don't want to go back for one more service because in a lot of instances then you're just going to be back yeah. so you got to resist that urge and that's why i think it's important to think in terms of not simply giving up on church but replacing it with things that are self-affirming that feel good and that give you reasons to not be in church once you find yourself with some other more appealing options, and there are a lot of more appealing options out there than going to church, two things happen. It gets easier to not go, and it gets easier to piece together why you stopped going. It's hard to give a concrete account of something so abstract, something that's not based so much on specific concrete thought as on shifting emotions, feelings, and perceptions. I did make a conscious choice to abandon Christianity, but I had a cushion. Many people out there don't. I didn't rebound after the last time I actually went to a church service because I had landed in Wicca. But what about the people who don't? What if it's a direct decision to abandon religion altogether and you don't have that way station? You know, you don't have that place to stop and regroup and figure out what you really believe. What about for people like that? For me, that decision happened with Wicca, not with Christianity. The whole thing of abandoning religion happened when I was in Wicca. Right. And it was a gradual thing. It was the whole not believing in Santa anymore. But I was still very religious when I adopted Wicca. And this, I believe, is how you eliminate the middleman without a methadone religion aiding in the recovery. Because that's what Wicca was. It was basically evangelical methadone. <laughs> um, keep your brain turned on. Question everything that you hear in church. Challenge what you're being told in Sunday school, Bible study, and at the men's prayer breakfast. When your brain says, this is nuts, listen. Listen. When you observe people behaving in ways that make it seem like they're not thinking for themselves 
or that they're not thinking rationally, agree with your brain. It's right. You might stick around a bit longer, but you'll probably also start believing less and less, and that will make it way easier to leave. Yes. When your belief starts waning, church and everything about it will start feeling boring. It will start feeling stale. You'll start recognizing just how many times you've heard this rhetoric and just how little good any of it has done for you. It'll feel like an exercise. Your heart won't be in it anymore. And you'll start thinking about some of the things I suggested a few minutes ago. Once that happens, you'll decide to try one week anyway, then another, and then another, and then another. And then you'll get through that first month and you'll start cataloging all the things that you enjoyed about that time, the things that you did that were self-affirming, that just made you feel good about you, that made you feel every bit as good about you as being in that church service would have. And at that point, and at that point, I'm willing to bet that you'll get just accustomed enough to not setting that alarm on Sunday to start getting unbound. hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. <laughs>